Truly today we look to the rock of all ages, the rose of sharing, the bright and morning star. Last week we took time and looked at some very unique individuals in the Old Testament that waged warfare against the enemies of God and his people. We saw some pretty neat individuals. I mean, I still, last Sunday night, we had a blast. A man who fought a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Uh, That was was a cool story. Uh, We saw uh, Egyptians and giants fall. Uh, We saw great uh, numbers of enemies fall at the hands of God's people. And how we must wage war against those things that come against God and His church. But today I want you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're going to kind of see the other side of the fight. And as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 6, I see several visitors with us today. You are not just a visitor. God had a plan and purpose for you to be here today. I believe that. And so you are a special guest here with us at the church at Eastside, the body of believers who worship together. And we want you to just make yourself at home, enjoy the presence of God. We come, as we said last week before, uh, uh, an audience of one, that it is him that matters. It is him that we come to please. If there's an amen that gets hung up somewhere in your throat, Stop worrying about whatever may think of you if you say it or raise your hand or do something in worship that God wants you to interact and be part of rather than just be entertained. Just uh, like, like an old professor said, if you can help it, help it. But if you can't, just have at it this morning. Let's enjoy the presence of God. And let us learn to fight the good fight. To fight the good fight. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, he tells us in verse 11 and 12, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Doctors, trainers, and coaches alike will tell you that an athlete is going to perform at their highest level, if they take time to do the preparation, stretch, get loose, and and make sure that their body is not wound too tight when it comes time to compete. This word fight today is different in the Greek than other places. It's different than the word we looked at last week in the Hebrew. This word fight literally contrast the whole idea of fighting against. It literally means to fight for. And so I want us to go in with a a, a total different look at this whole idea of fighting. That's why last week 
we had on the, on the screen soldiers in the background. But today, we have boxing gloves. It's different than when you get into uh, uh, the, the boxing ring than it is to be dropped out of a plane or to storm the shores of some foreign land. Look with me again, if you will, at the very start of this context. But thou, O man of God. And before we go any further, let us look at this whole idea of the man of God. He's, now, the first, first and second Timothy and Titus are known as the pastoral epistles. And they're that because there's a lot of content addressed to men in the role, especially Timothy, Paul's son in the faith, who was pastor. But it's not just to pastors. It's just that they call it that mainly because Paul wrote to the pastor. Yes, the qualifications are in there, but we don't call them the deacon epistles, even though those qualifications are in there as well. And so this context here, the word man, is, is different than when he speaks of the man of God in the Old Testament. When he calls him the man of God, he's speaking directly to Timothy, but he's casting a broad net upon all believers. Because listen, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, there's an exclusivity to that. Lost men cannot be called children of God. First, First John 3 declares that we have been called children of God and others because of his love, but we are children of the Most High God. We're big about this whole brotherhood. Brotherhood of man, brothers in arms, brothers on the court, brothers, 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 brothers. But I'm going to tell you, the only true family that will stand the test of time is if you've been adopted, if you are marrying in, and if you have been born into the family of God. You won't be good to get into it. You won't urge yourself into it. You will not will yourself, get dunked enough, give enough, serve enough, have enough friends to become the family of God. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the most exclusive thing that's ever been known to mankind. It is not affected, and if you look in this context, he has just told him, do not be taken by the love of money and by all the corruption that is materialism. And so we need to understand, we cannot build up enough good in our lives to be good enough. It's exclusive to be called a child of God. And so he addresses that right off the start. So he's talking to believers. Now hear me today. If you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I've got wonderful news right now before the invitation, before I give some kind of special thing and they play some song, you can call out to God where you're at. You can call, oh God, I'm lost and on my way to a sinner's hell. And without the blood of Jesus Christ, I will be condemned forever. I pray, Father, that you would come into my life. Save me. Wash me white as snow. And right now, you'd become a child of God. Because I can't make it happen. The deacons can't make it happen. Your family member can't make it happen. I'm going to tell you, I, I'm, I'm not... 
I'm not kidding right now. If I was sitting in that pew and God come over me knowing the conviction that I uh, uh, experienced as a lost young man. If I was under that conviction right now, I pray. Listen, listen. You need to call on him. I would not wait another second for fear that he may come back before the end of this service. Know you're a child of God. And part of that exclusivity that we'll speak about today. But there's responsibility. Listen, in that, just to back up for just a minute. When, it, when we talk about being exclusive, here, here's the way Peter wrote it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen. Now listen, here, see if you hear anything about vagrant, homeless, broken down, poor, pitiful me. See if you find that in what, what I'm about to read to you. But you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? You're a child of God. Ain't like it. Royal. Holy. That's who his children are. But then the responsibility that comes along. We we just want fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. Yeah, but you're living like hell. There's something wrong with this picture. The Bible tells us to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, that our garment of the flesh would not be stained and singed by the things of this world. He tells us in 2 Timothy. Listen to these verses. 3, 16 and 17, all scriptures given by inspiration of God. God breathed it and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. He didn't say for self-preservation. He didn't say that our feelings won't be hurt. He didn't say that I would have positive, positive thoughts and, uh, uh, and positive vibes. He didn't say that. He said it's for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There is a responsibility to being the child of God. There's a responsibility. Teenagers, if you're born again, it's not just about Ryan or me or someone else, your parent leading you to the Lord and getting baptized and then you're good. You can live any kind of way you want. You've got a responsibility just as much as the saved senior adult. To live for Christ. But listen, senior adults, while we're on that, you haven't outlived your responsibility. God's not giving you some right because you reach some AARP level. God still expects us to obey Him and to be what He, we have a responsibility. People are watching, people are looking. 
You see, the uh, exclusivity is we're the children of the Most High God, but the responsibility is it's by His will and for His glory. That's why we sing, preach, teach. That's why we have men's banquets. That's why we have women's teas. That's why we have vacation Bible school. That's why we have cake auctions. That's why we have basketball leagues. It's not about playing basketball ultimately. Come on. If it is, you've missed the mark. If you just don't want to mess with it because it's basketball and you don't see that children in this community need a safe place where somebody will show them love and the grace of God, you've missed the point. We have a responsibility. And then there's an accountability. He said in verse 20 of 1 Timothy Six, oh Timothy. Now this is like a father talking to his son. He said, keep, keep that which is committed to your trust. Avoid vain and profane babblings and oppositions of science. Falsely so-called. Does that sound like our world today? Where we've become puffed up in our own minds that we know more. We've got it all figured out. We can tell everybody else how to do their job and how to live their life. There's an accountability. You see, the contrast is we're a man of God, not a man of the world. It's good not to know some things. There's jobs that Christians shouldn't work in. There's words Christians shouldn't use. There is lifestyles and attitudes that should not be in a believer's life. Now, this is all the intro. Man of God, not man of the world. Right now, before we go any further, do a mental checklist. My child of God or child of the world? Well, I'm saved. That's not what I said. Well, you say, well, yeah, but there was people in the Bible that became castaways. Demas loved this present world and he left. John Mark at one point got homesick and left the mission field, ran away. Peter denied Jesus. Peter also started playing the political game and he acted like a Jew when he was with the Jews and he acted like a Gentile when he was with the Gentiles. And Paul said, this ought not be so. Paul flew hot, got mad over John Mark. Him and Barnabas had a split. Look, sometimes we don't act like it. But the important thing is to remember, inside we're still a child of God. We need to pray for his power and authority in our lives. Now, notice the next slide. There's three very distinct things he tells us in this context. First of all, He said, flee these things. Now, he's talking about what he had just mentioned in the previous verses. He had talked about all the worldliness of of falling into temptation and snares and foolish and hurtful lust, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Talks about all that stuff. And he said, oh, man of God, flee these things. There's some things we need to run from. Amen? 
Some things you just need to run from. But we, we become so arrogant, we think we can take anything, face anything. You're not Superman. You're not Wonder Woman. You're a child of God, but you're not God. Sometimes we need to run from it. But not just the flea, but when we run from things, there's a way to run to things. It's the whole idea of repentance. I'm walking in sin, and the idea of repentance is to stop See the damage and destruction heading my way and to turn completely around, not say, well, I'll just kind of scoot around the edge. That's what many of us do. No, he says to do a 180 is the whole mindset. To flee and to follow. So there's things to run from, but then in following we seek after. It, it, It literally means to fight. Or to struggle, we seek after it. We go after it. Listen, when you start a marathon, a race that's 26, over 26 miles long, you cannot see the finish line. There's no possible way, even if it was in the desert, you would not be able to see it. You say, oh, that's exactly right. I learned this on a deep sea fishing boat. Out there in the water, just as crystal clear and smooth as it could be. And the captain said, you can see 12 miles with no waves because of the curvature of the earth. But because, uh, despite some popular thinking, it just boggles my mind, uh, the earth is not flat. It's not flat. It arcs. It, it, there's a curvature to it, and so you can't see it. So when you start that race, you can't see the finish line, but you start it anyway, believing it's there. Right? That's what you're striving toward. He said, I press forward toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. I'm moving. I can't see it, but I know it's there. And so I'm going to take one more step. Even when I don't feel like it. Even when the world comes against me. Even when I feel empty and void of anything that relates to God. Oh God, you're still there. I believe you're there. Though I can't see eternity. Though I can't see the beauty of it. I'm going to keep pressing. And follow after. But the fullness of what I want to talk about this morning is found in verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. It literally means to labor or to struggle intensely as in an athletic contest. Now, I want to contrast these for just a moment. First of all, I want us to look back at what we fight against. What we fight against. This is spiritual warfare. Now, think about it. What are you fighting against? I just threw up some things. Hate. We, we hear about hate all the time. Bigotry and racism. Pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I fight that. We all fight pride. We know better, think more, have better. Envy. And the things that we think we don't have, we want it. 
We envy others. Just sheer laziness. Laziness. Not doing what God... Do you understand that iniquity is just as evil as transgression? The whole idea of transgression is to trespass. To go where you don't belong. To step over moving forward in a direction you were not meant to be. But iniquity is to not do what God's told you to do. It's called the sins of commission versus the sin of omission. And Sometimes we're more guilty. Look, we grow in faith. We know not to do this and do that and do the other. And so we don't do those things. But the thing God wants us to do, we don't do them. It's easier and I think more commonplace in the mature believer's life to have a sin of omission. Just We go to church every Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. When's the last time you were so burdened that God moved your spirit off yourself and told you to share Christ with someone else? When's the last time you took your eyes off of self and what you thought was right, what you thought about what everybody else should be doing to love on somebody. I'm not, I, I'm not talking about love tainted with your idea of love. I'm talking about Christ's love. I'm talking about going to a cross and dying for sinners who mock you, curse you, and betray you. Laziness, injustice, oh man, bullying, and all those. Is, is all that evil to you? It is, isn't it? I mean, the list is... Almost endless. It's all evil. We're fighting against that stuff. We fight against it in our marriage. We fight against it in school. We fight against it in the job. We fight against it on the ball field. We fight against it everywhere. But I want you to take a deep breath. You ready? Breathe out. All right, now turn the page. We're going to look at what we're going to fight for. We're going to be able to relax, stretch. You know, we go through it right over left. Oh, man, I need that. Spread them rich, you know. Loosen up. You know, pull, pull. Some of you, you you surround tight. You need to take a deep breath and spiritually stretch just a minute. Huh? We get so uptight about anything and everything and oh man this is in my face and this and, and we become entrapped by the tyranny of the urgent and what our own preference are stretch just a minute just stretch and enjoy what God's words got to tell us O man of God fleeing and following fight the good fight of faith. So what is the contrast? Well, look here. Fighting for this athletic contest, righteousness, godliness, love, patience, meekness. When you get in that marathon, you got to pace yourself. You can't sprint the first mile. You pace. You run that pace, and that pace becomes Something you have practiced and learned and grown. And you pace yourself. It, it, it's, it's staying inside your confines of your ability and understanding that your next step is literally a gift from God. 
that this is your limitation. Understanding is God's righteousness that causes us to take every step in this race we call life. Right? Right? Without the grace of God, you wouldn't draw your next breath. Without the grace of God, you would be at home with the flu. Without the grace of God, you would be in the hospital. Without the grace of God, you would be in jail, in the funeral home, or wherever else you could be. But by the grace of God, he's got you here. And may, may, Let me make something vividly clear because I think it goes along with what Philip said. People are not at the funeral home or in the hospital just because they don't have the grace of God. We still live in a sinful, broken world. And just because everything's not going right in your life doesn't mean you're not right with God. That's prosperity gospel. And the truth is, listen, Job suffered. Paul suffered. If I'm not mistaken, the only one we even believe died of natural causes that were with Christ, the apostles, was John, and I believe that to be the case, and I believe it's because he had to take care of Jesus' mother. They were sold in half, hung, crucified, burnt, and they're still doing it to believers today. You going to tell me that they're blowing up Chinese churches because they're not right with God? Yeah, the people blowing it up, but not the people going to church. Don't get tied into that prosperity business. Because all of us suffer because this world. But in this world is not the only place we have hope. Amen? Because if so, we're of all men most miserable. But notice, we're fighting for good. Good in our life, good in our realm of influence. And so I want you to notice something about this text. In fighting the good fight of faith, he said, lay hold on eternal life. What does that mean? Notice with me on this next slide. Lay hold on eternal life. It does, now who, who is this whole message really for? Who did he say at the very start? The who? Man of God or children of God, uh, if you will. So we know that from the whole five minute intro To be who? Who are the children of God? Believers. So we're talking to believers. He's not saying, go grab you some eternal life. He's saying, get a grip on the eternal life you have. Some people are living, if this this is the spiritual line of where we should be above in Christ, we're living down here. Below the spiritual poverty line. Living in mediocrity. Not living to being part of the uh, uh, holy nation. A royal priesthood. What does that even mean? They're all all abuzz about the royal wedding that will be coming up with the American actress. And they're already trying to compare with Grace Kelly and all these others and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And they're all a do. Oh, they can't wait for all the pomp and circumstance. And they'll get out all the royal jewels and all that. Does not compare to being a child of God. Listen, we need to get a grip. Get a grip. It means grasp the fullness of the Christ life now. Are you, are you fully engaged 
involved and enthralled with the Christ life that he has for you now. Now. Right now. Are, are you living in the fullness of his joy, his mercy, his comfort, his strength, his love, uh, uh, his long-suffering, his temperance, all those spiritual gifts uh, and the spiritual fruits he tells us in Galatians 5 and all the goodness that is the Holy Spirit overwhelming us, convicting and convincing? Are we walking in the power of his Son? We need to get a grip. It's there. That's the thing. He said, lay hold on what's there. It, it just, just hold on to it. Enjoy the fullness of it. Went to a car show, Neil, one time. And there was one of the coolest, and today there's no earthly idea what that car would be worth if it's still like it was then. This was in 1983. 1983. It was a 1963 split-window Corvette. One of the most cherished collectible Corvettes of all time. They only made them in 1963. A split window. This car, this was in 83. It still had the sticker on the window. The original red wall tires with a total, get this. It had 35 miles on it. 35 miles. A collector, as my dad would say, with more money than sense, bought that car new, rolled it out, put it on a trailer, took it home, and put it in his game room. And would walk by and look at it when he went in the game room. And he would roll it out, roll it up on the trailer. Sometimes he would crank it just to keep it going so it would work. Crank it up, drive it up on the trailer, crank it up, back it off the trailer at a car show. And he'd only go to certain car shows. A man offered him there and said, I will take you to any dealership anywhere in America today. I will fly you there. If it's a Ferrari or whatever else, and I will pay to buy you whatever you want as an equal trade for that car. And he said, no. That's a pretty cool car. Neil, I mean, that's, Dean, that's, that's kind of up our alley. If you know anything about cars, here's the deal. In Bowling Green, Kentucky, they made that car to drive. They made it to drive. Not too long ago, there was a sinkhole at the Corvette Museum, and cars worth that much, and the most rare, the first Corvette ever, there were 17 of them fell into a hole. Some could not be repaired. What if that house caught on fire? I don't know what's happened to that car since then. Man may be dead. What use is it if you didn't drive it? Yeah, you can walk by and look at it. Oh, man, isn't that cool? But that's not what it was made. It's not, it's not a painting on a wall. 
Listen, you were made to drive. God's made you to serve. It's not just about, oh, I'm going, I'm going to heaven. And so we have, as a church, we have become a museum of the saints rather than a hospital to sinners. It's not about just looking over at each other and saying, boy, we look good today, don't we? Yeah, sound good too. We need to get a grip, and in doing so, when we lay, hold on, listen, we'll keep the main thing, the main thing. Y'all have heard that in the last six months, haven't you? You see, it's all about not just quantitative, but qualitative. It's not about how much we do. It's about how well we do it. Laying hold, because look, we can come up with all kind of wonderful ideas. And we can have them come in, go out, do this, revolving, swapping sheep. But if we become qualitative, when we keep the main thing, the main thing, then we'll come in and it won't matter what anyone else thinks. It won't matter what anyone else does. But when each one of us walk out of here individually knowing we are right with God, not because we think we fixed everybody else, but because we have surrendered ourselves for God to fix us then I can assure you we'll be the most healthy body of Christ on this globe. We need to keep the main thing the main thing. Huh? That's hard. Because life happens, doesn't it? Well, she made me mad. Yeah. He, He didn't do me right. You know, I'm sure a lot of people's said that here's what you always remember this is the default this is the go to okay remember the cross remember when you're being abused and despised and rejected remember the cross keep the main thing the main thing. Remember now, this is about fighting for something. We're fighting for the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors and warriors. We are athletes on Team Jesus. Let us run the race. Let us fight every minute of every round. Let us give it all. Leave it all on the field. Wouldn't it be sad... You know, pastors do funerals. They go to bedsides. I've talked to a lot of pastors and preachers. I've never heard any of them say, you know what? I had a man the other day on his deathbed said, man, I wish I would have worked more hours a week. If I would have only become more important. If I would have worked harder at being more popular, if I would have joined more organizations and more clubs, you know, what men and women say is, I wish I'd have prayed more. I wish I'd have studied God's word more. And more than anything, just as the rich man cried out from hell, I wish I'd have trusted and told my family about Jesus. 
You can make your kids the greatest athletes on this earth, and they'll die and go to hell if you don't teach them that Jesus is the main thing. Both quarterbacks, the stars of the teams in the national championship showed it wasn't about a ball game. Both of them, with great humility, said, it's about Jesus. I'm going to keep the main thing the main thing. Leave it all on the field. Leave it all on the field. So that when we get there, we can say what Paul did. I fought a good fight. Finished my course. Run my race. Done what God wanted me to do. Yes, I've got regrets. Oh, the things I've messed up. But I have fought a good fight. I laid hold on what God wanted me to be blessed with. Whatever you do, don't quit. Church, don't quit. I'm not talking about don't quit east side. See, when you quit church, you quit God. Oh, I can worship. No, no, you can't. No, no, that's a lie. That is a lie perpetrated by Satan. If Jesus died for his church and is the cornerstone and the rock of the church, if he wrote half the New Testament to churches, then churches matter. And if his body is the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, the church matters. And if we are to worship Him corporately and to praise Him together and to lift each other's burdens, how are we going to do that by ourselves? Church matters. I thank God for my church. Church, don't quit. He said in verse 14 that you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until... The appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm just tired. Well, I'm old. Let the younger people do it. We want them to do it until they do something we don't like. And it, it's a threat to our power base. And then we want to jump back in by complaining about what they're doing. Huh? Yeah. Well, I can't believe they do. Uh, well, you know what? Somebody said that about you. I can't believe they wear them poodle skirts. I can't believe that they had peg leg or pants up and they slicking their hair back. They look like a bunch of motorcycle gangsters. Can't believe they let their hair grow so long. Everybody's got an excuse and everybody's wanting to complain about something. But you know what? Times change. Jesus, don't. Don't quit. Church, don't quit. Fight. The good fight. You see, a man by the name of Buckminster Fuller. Yeah, I know. Buckminster Fuller. He didn't, he wasn't crazy about it either. He liked to be called Bucky. He was a brilliant man. Problem is, he was more humanist than anything. But he said some pretty profound words in the idea of fighting against and fighting for the contrast here 
He said this, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. You want to beat abortion? Win young girls to Jesus. Show them, fight for life, not just against death. Does that make sense to you? Don't just fight against those who uh, come against the body of Christ. Fight for them that the Lord would save them. Someone once wrote, what we choose to focus on, hear me now, what we choose to focus on impacts what we attract to ourselves. Old timers would say you hang out with dogs, you get fleas. What we choose to focus on impacts what we attract to ourselves. Instead of focusing just on what we are against, we must fight for what is right. Church, we need to fight for something. And in closing, I want you to realize this. Verses 17 through 19. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Who, love, uh, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Do you hear that? That they do good. That they be rich in good works. Ready to distribute. Willing to communicate. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation. Against the time to come. That they may lay hold. That they may grip that eternal life. You see, church, there will be a test. It's going to be a test. I know it's the most dreaded words in the English language. There will be a test. There'll be no participation trophies. It'll be all because of the blood of Jesus. And the crowns you receive will be the crowns that you have earned by your good works. Not because you are Jesus' favorite. But because he loved you and you loved him back. And the good things you did motivated by his grace, by his eternal life that you have gotten a grip upon. You can take those crowns and throw them at his feet. And as we cross that finish line, the tape is broken and we see King Jesus sitting on the Bema seat. We'll hear those words, the greatest words that will ever be spoken into man's hearing. Well done. You have finished the race. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't know about you, this convicts me. I get so busy fighting against stuff that I forget to fight for something. And today you need to come recommit your life to fighting for the cause of Christ. Energized, excited about who Jesus is. Lord, help me get a grip on who I am in Christ. That I enjoy the newness that is Christ. The Christ life of holiness, of righteousness, of joy. That the world would see, I literally am not joyous because my team wins, but because I'm a winner in Jesus. As they come to the instruments.
You need to come get a grip. First of all, you need to experience eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ. Come, take me by the hand. I'll pray with you. I'd love to pray with you. And explain to you if you've got any questions who Jesus is. If you're a born-again believer, why not come? Lay your hands. Wrap your heart around the eternal life he has given you. That you can walk away with here with a stronger grip than ever before. You remember that guy last week that we said he held his sword in such a grip for so long that it, it literally became welded to his hands. His muscles ached and cramped up to where he could not turn loose of the sword. We need to have that kind of grip on the eternal life he's given us. You need to come. You need victory in your life. You need victory in your marriage. You need victory over the spiritual warfare going on in your life. Come, give it to Jesus. Stand and come. Stand and come right now. Without hesitation, come and pray.